I'm making this recording just a few days before the new year, and it's a message I believe will be practical and useful to us. It's a message I need to hear, I need to apply, and I trust that will be the case in your life also. Please go in your Bibles with me to Psalm 90, the 90th Psalm. Verse 1, and ladies and gentlemen, this is the Word of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed in the evening. It fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Again, that 12th verse. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Time has a tendency to slip away and therefore, understanding that, there is much in the business world, in the, world, in the way of resources regarding time management. But when you think about it, it's uh, kind of a fool's errand to speak of time management because you can't manage time. You can't control time. Ever since I was a little boy, I've been fascinated by time. Those that know me know that uh, I love to have accurate time around me on my watch, on my wall. Uh, doesn't mean I'm always on time, but I know how early or late I am. I want to know the time. That was the case when I was eight or nine years old, and back in England, there was a number you could call on the telephone uh, back then uh, that would give you the accurate time. And you'd call a certain number, and it would say, at the third stroke, the time will be 5.51 and 50 seconds. Boop, boop, boop. That third boop was the announcement of the 52nd of the minute. And I would tune my watch every night doing that. You think that's unusual for an eight or nine-year-old? Well, it is. I admit that. I've always been fascinated by time. But one thing I know, and I think you know it too, is you can't control time. You can't capture it and say, right, I'm grabbing that second. It's mine. No, it just ticks on and it's gone. 
We don't control time. So what can we control? Well, I think it'd be more accurate to talk about task management rather than time management. I know what is meant by the term. It's just, uh, let's be specific, let's be precise. We can manage our tasks, but we can't manage time. Let me ask you, what do you spend your time on? For many of us, it's work. Uh, For a lot of us, and we need to understand what time is. We need to understand the value of time. And let me ask you this, what is worth your time? We can't control time. We can't manage time, but we can manage what we do with the gift we've been given. We've been given the gift of today. We've been given the gift of now. And everything we do today will create our future, our tomorrow. Uh, One man put it this way, if you can tame today, it will transform your tomorrow. It will give you possibilities. It will give you opportunities. And scripture here says, teach us to number our days that we may gain, that we may get a heart of wisdom. To number our days, what does that mean? It means be aware of the time that's passing. Be aware, recognize. There was a a couple, in fact, a father and a daughter who stayed at my home not too long ago. He was called Jim and his daughter was called Alyssa. He didn't know, I didn't know, she didn't know that within a couple of years of after their staying here, they would both pass away. Uh, the young lady before the age of 19 passed away because of a, dr- a brain tumor and he sadly died of a heart attack. He'd had several before. Uh, you don't know. He, he lived to be almost 50, but he never quite made it. She, around the age of 18. And that's unusual, but verse 10 speaks of our life as being 70 or even by reason of strength 80, but we don't know how long we have. And so Scripture is very, very forceful in saying, be aware of how much time is passing we, we need to be aware of time. Do you, do you realize the value of time? Here's something Todd Duncan wrote. To understand the value of one year, ask a student who has just failed a final exam. To understand the value of one month, ask a mother who has just given birth to a premature baby. To understand the value of one week, ask the editor of a weekly newspaper To understand the value of one hour, ask two lovers who are waiting to meet. To understand the value of one minute, ask the person who has just missed the plane, bus or train. To understand the value of one second, ask the person who has just avoided an accident. To understand the value of one millisecond, ask the Olympian who has just won the silver medal poignant, isn't it? It's uh, powerful. When we think about time, and we've all got it, and we've all got the same amount of it in a day. And so when I talk about task management, I'm talking about discretionary time, uh, what we do 
uh, in work. In fact, uh, a lot of it relates to work because we can work smarter rather than harder. We could talk a lot about that. Perhaps we will. But in our time when perhaps you're working for a company, you are working for a particular company and they have directives over what you should be doing with your time and you have no discretionary time there. But many times when you own a business, when you have freedom to regulate your schedule, you have to decide what is the best use of your time. There are things we should do, there are things we must do, and there are things we would love to do and want to do. Regarding this, many people look back on their lives when they get older and and think, where did all the years go? And there is an element of regret uh, regarding that oftentimes. I remember... uh, Hearing the testimony, I don't believe I was in the meeting, but um, an elderly gentleman uh, was baptized and he came up out of the water crying. And everyone thought it was tears of joy till he spoke up loudly enough for everyone to hear and he said these words, Oh, the wasted years. Here he was being baptized in his 80s. And he said, I've not lived for the Lord all these many years. He, he knew the truth, but had never given himself to Christ. Now, a lot of that and all of that is under the sovereign hand of God. But there is an element of truth in that. Some people say regret is a waste of time. I, I don't believe that. It can be. Um, but only if you don't learn from the things that you are regretful of. If you go to the book of Proverbs, it talks about time in a different way. Proverbs chapter 24. So we're talking about numbering our days, being aware of the time that's passing. And as we approach a new year, it's always a good time to think about our lives, to think about how much time we might have, knowing that all of that is under the sovereign hand of God. We don't even know if we've got tonight, let alone tomorrow. But Proverbs chapter 24 is a familiar um, chapter and familiar uh, themes emerge in this particular chapter. And uh, verse 33 is a familiar one again. Verse 33, Proverbs 24, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So there it's talking about a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit more sleep, a little bit more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Oh, I've just done too much. I'll rest right now and keep on resting. And here's the promise. Poverty will come upon you like a robber. Now, as with uh, many of these proverbs, recognize they are proverbs rather than promises. There are some people who sleep and slumber and fold their hands to rest and win the lottery. It's, it's rare, but it happens. There are some people who have a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and they inherit millions because they got rich parents. But this is a proverb, and I believe it's accurate, even though there are exceptions. 
It's like the scripture that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. That's a proverb. It's found in the book of Proverbs, and they're called Proverbs rather than the book of Promises, because it's not always the case that you put the right thing in the child and you get the right thing out. That's all under the sovereign hand of God. Uh, But it's right to put the right thing before the child. That's your responsibility while the results are with him. God. But it is a statement of truth that someone who just gives himself to sleep and slumber and relaxation is not going to become abundantly wealthy in the scheme of things. It's the opposite. Poverty will come upon you like a robber. How does a robber come? Unexpectedly, uh, not with your willingness. You don't call a number and say, could I order a robber today? No, they come without your consent. So it is, poverty will come upon us like a robber. And want, which means the lack of things, like an armed man. It's the same idea expressed in a different way. Verse uh, 34, it'll come upon you, what will? Poverty like a robber, and in the same way, want which is the opposite of having your needs met, like an armed man. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and it will overpower you. So we all talk about time, and we talk about the need to be workers. Uh, In my own field, some folk have the idea, if you're a pastor, you only work on Sundays. (laughs) I, I laugh because... Uh, you try it. You, you try being a, a pastor who actually uh, lives with the people and prepares messages. And if you've ever prepared a 10-minute message for perhaps a, a best man's speech or for any kind of uh, event at all, you know it doesn't take 10 minutes to prepare that 10 minutes. And so it is. I, I think I worked out, I spent about 12 to 16, 18 hours of study for every hour I teach or preach. There's many times you read for two hours and what you gain are great insights, but the insights that you speak when you're in a message speaking it and teaching it can take place in about a minute and a half. You've read for two hours and you've got a minute and a half's worth of important things to say. And so think about it. Someone who's going to not just repeat, 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 repeat. Uh, You know, if you've only got one sermon, you have to travel. (laughs) Um, But if you're going to stay in one place with the same people, they they know if this week is the same as last month or even two years before. I don't know what I'm going to be saying days from now, a week from now, because I haven't prepared it yet and I want to be fresh. And uh, though I prepare all through the week, um, Sunday morning, early, I'm up just refining the message, thinking, okay, I've got the concept, I've got the passage, I understand it, I've I, I got my points, but how can I say it in a way that will get the message over? And, and, and it takes a lot of time. And so that's just part of the pastoral ministry. There's many other aspects, of, of, of course, involved as well. But we're all working hard and we're all busy We're all very, very busy people, but I want to ask us, what are the pressing things we should be involved in? 
When I talk about pressing, I now want to go to Philippians chapter 3, go into the New Testament with me. And again, we're looking at things that I'm sure is uh, known to you, but I want to encourage you. I want to stir your mind up as we approach this new year. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul had been talking about the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And when he understood that, he counted everything he had had in his uh, artillery, anything he had in terms of his own ideas about what was gained to him. He regarded it as loss for the sake of Christ. And when he found Christ, he realized this is the true treasure. This is uh, everything and everything else is rubbish or even manure or dung would be a very good translation. Found in him, not having, verse 9, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And he talks about, uh, verse 10, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. Uh, there's, there's far more I need of, in, in terms of my sanctification. I've, I've not arrived. I, I love to say I'm not the author of this, I'm not the originator of this, but uh, I don't know exactly where I picked it up, but it's a great expression. I haven't arrived, but thank God I've left. That's true of the Christian. You haven't arrived at perfection. You haven't arrived at glorification and full sanctification. There are still aspects of the Christian's life that means he needs his mind renewed. He needs to understand uh, the Word of God better. Uh, the Scripture says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Find that in the book of Peter. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you know this, but John 3.16, while it is a tremendous Bible verse, it's not everything that's in our Bibles. God could have just given us John 3.16 and that's it. And those who believe in Christ, uh, understanding God's love for the world in the giving of Christ to the world, those who believe in Christ will not perish but have everlasting life. Absolutely. But God gave us more than John 3.16. He gave us verse 15 and verse 17 and 18 and 19. And he gave us Romans and he gave us Genesis and he gave us all the way through to Revelation because he wants us to know these things. He didn't have to. And so the, the gentleman, the lady who says, I don't need more than John 3.16, God disagrees. I believe he would say, you need everything I've revealed. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And what he's revealed is his revelation found in Scripture. And it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And we should be growing in grace and in the knowledge of God. I want to ask you, are you growing? And I want to ask you this, will you? You will 
if you set aside time for growth in grace and in the knowledge of God, and in the knowledge of Christ. So Paul writes, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Notice focus. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, if you think differently to this, God will reveal that also to you. There it is, the press of the Christian life. Press for the tape. It it really is the image of a a runner who knows that the uh, finish line is very, very close. And I'm sure you've seen it at the Olympics or in in, uh, other race events where to get to the tape first, they press, they lean, they make sure their uh, chest hits the tape before the other runner. And here, that's the the imagery here. We're we're pressing towards something. And I want to encourage us to do that. And you don't get there by accident. You don't win a race by accident. You do it because you plan for it. We talk very little about that in our sector of the church because we rightly understand the sovereignty of God. But it's right to make plans. It's right to make your plans known to your family, those around you, to, to your wife, to your spouse. Are you pressing? Let me encourage you, as Scripture says and declares, to press on for Christ in this coming year. Uh, if we don't do that, we'll drift. And Hebrews 2 speaks of the, the vital need to focus and obtain the promise and commit ourselves to Christ and to the gospel message. Uh, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, it says. And uh, drifting is what we can do without any effort. Drifting is not because we do something, it's the failure to do something. Um, I understand this too. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. I get it. I believe it, I teach it, and yet it's right to plan. You'll never find in the Bible someone being condemned because they plan something. Plan the wrong thing, for sure, but it's never wrong to plan for your spiritual life. In fact, uh, let's go to 1 Timothy, on to the right in your Bible. After First and Second Thessalonians, we find 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look with me there. And verse 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Another translation reads, Discipline yourself for godliness. Look at verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value in every way, 
as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So here the Apostle Paul is not um, making a derogative statement about physical bodily training. Sometimes you might have that impression if you read the King James Version in this particular verse, verse 8, where it reads, bodily exercise profiteth little. I can almost hear it with a high English accent. Oh, bodily exercise profiteth little. But the point is not to devalue physical exercise and the discipline of the body. It's to simply show that bodily exercise is only helpful in the physical realm, whereas what you and I do spiritually in discipline, uh, people say, well, where's spiritual discipline in the Bible? Right here. Uh, Train yourself for godliness. Um, Godliness is of value of every way. It holds promise for the present life. And so rather than training yourself in merely the physical, the Christian is to be trained by God in the spiritual dimension. And we need to do that on purpose. We drift towards the opposite of that, prayerlessness. So as for me and my house, we, we're going to serve the Lord. How about you? As for me and my house in this coming year, as God enables me, we'll be doing some things spiritually on purpose. Think about a year. We've got a year ahead of us, Lord willing. How many hours in a year? Well, you can sit with a calculator and for the year 2023 coming up, it's 8,760 hours. Uh, what do you do with that? Well, it's just a figure, isn't it? January, 744 hours. February, it's not a leap year. So uh, if it's not a leap year, it's 672 hours. If it is a leap year, it's 696. March, 744. April, 720. I can bamboozle us all with numbers, but let's get real. We've all got 24 hours in a day, every one of us. 168 hours in a week. On average, 730.48 hours a month. Depends on how many days are in the month. 8,760 hours in a year. What am I saying? It goes back to what I've said earlier. You can't stop time. One man said it this way. You can't rake water and you can't stop time. But what you and I do with our time is something we'll actually have to answer to God about. A lot of people say they don't have time for some things. Um, Well, understand this. You have all the time there is. What do I mean by that? The president, the king, and the executive, CEO, all of them. Name the person. All of us have 24 hours in a day. No one gets more. No one gets less. If you live a day, 
you live 24 hours. And today is a gift. And when we talk about task management, it actually brings you freedom. It brings you um, an immeasurable sense of, of purpose. And we need to ask, what, what are the important things we do? Now, at this time of year, we talk about gym man- membership, and we talk about physical things, and we talk about the need for a vacation, but I'm a pastor, and with my Bible, I'm going to say what the Bible says, and while there's nothing wrong with making plans about your physical condition, I'm on a quest to lose some weight. I've lost quite a bit, still got a way, way, way to go. But it's not going to happen because I drift into it. I have to discipline myself. And so part of what I'm going to be doing is to do things that will speed up that process and keep me in the groove, so to speak, on the wagon. If I fall off the wagon, fall off the horse, get back on it. And there are things we need to do. How about the spiritual? There are things that will advance your spiritual life. And number one on that list is the Lord's Day. More and more, as I've understood what I believe the Bible to teach, I've moved from simply a personal, solitary, single-person idea of the Christian life, that it's me and Jesus, Jesus and me, But God's plan is the local church, and it's his greatest plan for my sanctification. And there's there's no time to go into all of that. We obviously have a church membership class, and we talk about membership in the church. And, you know, I remember talking with one person, speaking about a lady. Oh, she's a very strong Christian. I asked, "What, what church does she go to? Oh, she doesn't go to church. And I, and I said, well, can I be honest? She, the person said, yes. I said, she's not a strong Christian if she's not part of a local church because that's the first thing that would be on the list of the check marks on the boxes of um, the obedient Christian. The obedient Christian is part of a local church. Acts chapter 2, they repented, believed, were baptized, and immediately became members in the local church, functioning in the local church. They were, but, but are you saying you have to be in the church to be saved? No, but you need to be part of a church to be an obedient Christian, just as you need to be baptized. Baptism doesn't save in the sense that people who believe in Christ who are not baptized go to hell. Um, the, the, the man who was crucified next to Jesus uh, wasn't baptized but was assured of paradise that very day. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. Salvation is not by baptism. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, based on the sure testimony of Scripture alone. But he didn't really have the opportunity to be baptized, did he, once he was crucified? No, the biblical Christ could save him by the biblical means of the gospel. And the gospel is not 
be baptized and you'll be saved. But the Bible teaches that after you repent and believe, the first thing God requires of us, and it's a command, is to be baptized. And baptism, by its very definition, when we understand it, plunges us into membership in the local body of believers. And uh, I've never understood this until in the last number of years and was in ministry many, many years before I understood this. I've baptized people and never really talked to to the person about membership in the church. But uh, read Acts 2 again and you'll notice it was just a normal thing. They were added to the church once they were baptized. There you go. Um, I would just say this. There are other things to add to this, but number one at the top of the list for your sanctification in the next year is to commit yourself to the local church as well as Christ. Christ is the head of the church. He loves the church. He will nurture you in and by and through the church. He calls us to worship. The call to worship at the start of each service is God calling his people by means of his word because he has things to say. He is to be worshipped and he will presence himself among us. He will do a number of things. That's another teaching all in itself. But when the call to worship takes place, be there to hear it. Don't be late for that. Make it a priority. If you're going to excel in your Christian life, make this an essential. I'm in church on Sunday. And that's a bare minimum. That's, that's it. We all know about providential hinderings, as we refer to it, when there's no way we could get to church or should get to church. If we're so sick, we're going to pass on some virus we have to someone else. Yeah, please, please be aware of your physical condition and stay home and we'll pray for you. Absolutely. But far too often, we just make other things a priority. And I've just learned when Hebrews chapter 10 uh, speaks of not forsaking the assembly as is the habit of some, it says, don't make that the habit. That is the habit of some, but that's God, that's Christ through the writer to the Hebrews commanding us. That, that's the right view of the New Testament. Some people have a, <clears throat> a very false view of the Bible so that the words of Jesus are in red in their Bible. And I've got nothing against Bibles that have uh, red letter editions of Jesus' words in red to make them stand apart. But the false understanding that is driven by that is that the words of Jesus have more power or more anointing or more authority than Paul's letter to the Romans. No, it's the Lord Jesus through Paul to the church at Rome and to everyone else. So have a right view of Scripture. So make it a non-negotiable. I'm a Christian. I'm an obedient Christian. I go to church. Why? God commands it. Not to be saved, but to presence myself with the saved, the called out ones, to be the people of God. 
So just by way of recap, the concept of time management is, is actually a flawed understanding. We can't manage time, but we need to know what is important and do the things that are important and not do the things that are not important. So, so clear. Um, establish boundaries regarding your time. I was, I was recently with a pastor and he, he said, I, I get distracted and uh, you got any tips? I said, well, one thing I do, I said, just give you a window into what I do. Uh, the internet is always buzzing, so to speak. There are emails coming, there are text messages coming, there are uh, things that ring that says, listen to me, attend to me. I say, I bought myself a couple of years ago an hourglass. He said, an hourglass? I said, yeah, you know, with the sand in it, and you turn it one way, uh, flip it from where it is to the upside down position, and the sand immediately goes through the glass very, very slowly. It takes an hour for the sand to go from the top now of the hourglass to the bottom of the hourglass. And um, he says, what do you do with that? And I said, while that uh, hour is taking place, unless it's an emergency, there are certain people who know how to get hold of me should there be an emergency. But for that hour, I don't check emails. I don't check text messages. I don't check social media. That hour is given over to my study. And I do that several times during the day. And after the hour is completed, then I can check phone messages. I've got no guilt in doing that. But that's how I not manage my, my time, but make the day task-oriented so I do the important things. It's no good if I get up on a Sunday and say, look, I've got no sermon today, but the great news is I answered 70 emails. That's not good enough. <laughs> um, not, a, not by a long, long stretch. We're to give ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And you can't do that without intentionality and setting up boundaries. Let me say this. Don't wait for someone else to fix your day. Fix your day wherever you are. Now again, if you're in a work environment and you've got eight, maybe 10, maybe 12 hours at the workplace and they're making sure that you are doing what you're, you've been asked to do, you, you have no discretionary time. I'm talking about the time that you can do certain things outside of that scenario. But if you don't, if you don't put boundaries someplace, others will be telling you their agenda. If you don't set your agenda, you will take on the agenda of others. To hear the balance of that, um, I understand the work environment. I'm just saying what is discretionary and even in that work environment, are there things you can do that will help you govern your day better than you are? Um, I would say this too, even in the workplace, when you're in the workplace, give yourself wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to your work. It's, it's good to work. One of the wonders of the Protestant Reformation was the recapturing of the scriptural idea that work is a holy vocation, whatever you're doing. 
My dad used to drill it into me. If you're a road sweeper, make sure your roads are the best swept roads in the city. Do a good job. Do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. And the Lord will repay. It's a holy thing to work. It's a sacred thing. And you don't have to go into full-time Christian ministry so-called to be full-time for the Lord. Hear what I mean by that. It's not just those who are in spiritual vocations like a pastor or a a, a full-time Christian counselor. They're they're giving themselves to uh, spiritual things. And um, No, no, no. You can be just as holy, milking cows, um, making bread, raising up children, being a good wife in the home, whatever it is, your vacation, uh, your vocation, do it as unto the Lord and the Lord will bless that. And I believe this, if you work hard and if you work well, you'll produce maximum quality and it might take more time to do it right, but it will save you in the long run, minutes, hours, sometimes days. Um, when, when we started as a, a church in the home, um, I realized there's very few things we can do well compared to, say, other churches around us. Um, so my thought was this. If we're going to do only three things, let's do these three things well. If we're going to have a bulletin, and we have to decide, do we want to have a bulletin? It's not much to announce when not much is happening. <laughs> but... Yeah, we, we had a bulletin eventually. Make sure the spelling's correct. Make sure uh, you do what you can. I mean, sometimes things fall through the cracks, but let it be because somehow you were so tired you missed it. But don't be slack. Give yourself to quality. And that saves you from having to do it all again. Uh, there's many, many times when the print cartridge issues and copier issues and uh, times when everything then gets printed and then I find there's two spelling mistakes. Do you know what, what I do with that? I start again. I'd rather have, and, and still some things fall through the cracks, but if I know there's a problem, sometimes it's when I get to the service, I think, oh, I, f- I knew I should have ah, checked that again. Ah, I sh- oh, that's a bad spelling. And I I wince when it happens, but I want to do a good job for the Lord. And so I would love the spelling to be correct. And if I know it's not, and I've got a little bit of time to change it, I'll do it. And I, I, I want to do the right thing, and I want to do the right thing as well as I can as unto the Lord. It's a holy thing. And um, you, you see the bulletins, isn't it? I, I joke with people. People travel miles to get to King's Church because of these wonderful bulletins. And I, of course, that's an exaggeration and a joke. But I, but I want what we do to be done well. I'd rather not do it than do it badly. If I'm going to preach to the eight people that used to come on a good high Sunday, I want to make sure I'm teaching and I'm preaching as if 10,000 people are present. And some of you were there in those services and you, 
you know I gave myself to those eight so that those eight sheep were well fed. Rather than thinking, oh, oh, there's only eight people. It's like a little house group. No, I was treating it like a church. Not everybody saw it as a church. I, I did. I called it a church, King's Church. But I was treating it like a church because the most important person I please is not anyone who's sitting within three feet of me. It's the Lord himself. Have that attitude. And as you and I go into this new year, have an attitude that says, I'm going to make the most important things show up in my calendar. Interruptions, they happen. They happen a lot. And I realized that. And so I found a, an hourglass solution to my, my issue. And uh, I shared it, as I say, with the pastor. And he wrote back just recently saying it's really helped. I have an hourglass. He ordered a 30-minute hour, uh, half-hour glass. And he says I can do things in 30-minute intervals and increments. And that's how I get through my day. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no right or wrong. 60 minutes is better than 30. But um, when, it's, when, when we're talking about... I'm, I'm trying to apply what I'm saying to my own heart and life and see if there are applications you can make because we're all busy but are we productive all of us are busy few are productive everybody's working hard my question is are we working smart it's right to plan it's right to plan if God intervenes and you can't get to what you thought you would get to that day that's okay but then Start again. Do you know, the, the Bible says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Book of Proverbs again. And you go to the ant and watch the ant and some mean guy comes and um, stamps on the ant hill. They're busy at work um, making almost a city under, under your feet. And some guy comes and stamps on the thing. There's not even a second whereby the ants are going to say, well, that's it. We're just going to lounge around now. No, they just regather and start again. And we can learn from the ant. There are things that divert us. Um, sometimes they, they, there are massive distractions that uh, are providential and we don't get to what we think we might get to that day. But recognize this. God owes us nothing. God does not owe us 80 years. One man calculated 80 years. The 79.9 years, I think, is about the average lifespan of a human being right now. It used to be a lot, lot, lot less than that. Uh, modern medicine and technology allows people to have an extended lifestyle um, or lifetime um, compared to other generations before us. Many times it was 34 years, a long time ago. 34 years was the average lifespan of, a, of an individual. So Book of Psalms, as we read, 70, or if perhaps by strength, 80. Someone worked that out as 700,000 hours. That's an amazing gift. God does not owe us that gift. He's sovereign, and he's providentially ruling, but it's right to plan. It's right to come to church. It's right. It's right. Do the right things. So, 
engage in the things that are going to add value to your life, to your family. I believe the, the Holy Spirit will show you the, the things that are vital for your life. Time has that tendency to slip away. So be task-oriented. And let me close with this. <clears throat> the way I would say it is <clears throat> the secret sauce. You know about what I mean by that? You go to some restaurant and they make chicken from maybe the same group of chickens as the next restaurant down the street. They are supplied by the same chicken supplier, perhaps. But you go to one restaurant rather than the other because of the way the chicken is cooked or perhaps the secret sauce. They've got some sauce they put on the chicken and you think, that is just wonderful. And they won't give the secret away as to what the sauce is and how they produce it and what are the ingredients. It's that reason it's called a secret sauce. So what's the difference? The secret sauce for your and my life in achieving what God would wish for us and has planned for us is found in our daily routine. More than 25 years ago, I heard John Maxwell speak of this, and he said, if I could follow you around for a day and just observe you going through your normal day, I could basically predict your future. Not because I'm a prophet, not because I dream dreams, but here's the statement he made. The secret of your life is found in your daily routine. It's what you do daily. Here's the quote. You'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. That's the end of the quote, but it's, it's a profound thought. What do we do daily? Do we take time to pray? Do we take time to read our Bibles? I don't want you to be under the guilt of some unmanageable scheme. In fact, what I want to do is for the folk at King's Church is send you a link to a YouTube video of about three minutes that is the easiest Bible reading plan on planet Earth, I think. It's by Matthew Everhart, a pastor. And uh, it's a recent video he did. I thought, that's it. That, that's what I want to put before the people. It's, it's, see, what you need to do, what I need to do, is something that's sustainable, that you can do every day. And for some, they get up and they get on their stationary bike or they go for a walk, they exercise, they, they pray, they take some time to be in the scriptures. But the important things, like your spouse, like your children, they need to show up on your calendar as priorities. And let me close with this. Unless they're found there, it's all talk. All of this is just talk unless it shows up on our daily or weekly priorities. Time with the kids, time with the spouse, productive, quality time. So, as you and I approach this new year, would you pray about what it means for you to press, to press for the high calling of God on your life? What will add value to you? You know, the iceberg 
It's always been said that what you see above the surface of the water in an iceberg is about 10% of the total iceberg. What's above the water is about 10%. What's below the surface, the things you don't see, what's beneath the, we the waves are, is, is the 90%. And so if you see someone at the top of a mountain, <clears throat> take note of the fact he didn't fall there. He climbed and he got there not because it was a whimsical idea that day. He planned it. Get the idea of what it would be like to stand on the mountain. What would it look like? And in incremental steps, put it on a calendar and make it a consistent part of your life, consistently on your schedule. I speak to you, I speak to me. I need this message. How about you? Ask yourself, how often should this activity be in my life? Daily, weekly, monthly, you know this, but going to a gym once a week, once a month, it's not going to do too much. Once a week for three weeks, it's not going to do too much. One hour per week over three weeks, it's not going to do too much. But if you go regularly, there's going to be some changes that show up. And though you might have wasted quite a bit of your, your time, today's a new day, today is a new mercy, and plan. What are the non-essentials? What are the non-negotiables? You should know. Be constant. As you're constant, it creates simplicity. This is what I do each day. Uh, no compromise, I do it. I want to be that guy that puts the right thing on the calendar and just does it. <laughs> Schedule it. Block off time so that you get to do it. And then review. Review daily, perhaps weekly, but evaluate where you are. Evaluate your results and make changes if you need to. If you fall off the wagon, get back on. It's direction, not perfection. But observe yourself, observe your day, and ask yourself, how did I do? Did I get to do the important things? If you put them first on your calendar, it shows you're really uh, real about this, you actually want this. Jesus said about the kingdom of God, seek it first. Put it first. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things, things you need, be added to you. So our prayer is, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Block off the things that you don't need to do and that allows you to do the things you were born to do and you're commanded to do. One man said this, you're better off hitting the plan most of the time than hitting no plan all of the time. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that anything we do in the kingdom is because your grace has already come to us in Christ. We don't do to get a right relationship with God. Jesus did the doing. We are not saved by our works, any works, religious works, even following a plan. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But Lord, now that we've come to know you, Lord, we want to know you better. We want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepares, had, has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Help us to put you first in practical ways. In this be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.